0: Well, Jeremy, I want to say, firstly, thank you so much. We had an amazing conversation when I came on your podcast, National Fire Radio, and I did warn you then that I was going to flip the microphone around. So here we are. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast today.
1: I love being on the other side of this, man. Usually I'm the guy that's got to put the time in, facilitate the conversation, ask the questions, prompt the guest. And this time I did nothing for this. I literally just jumped on eating an apple, finishing my lunch, said, let's go, man. Let's just talk. That's what this is about, right? It's literally just talk. Let's go. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, for people listening, where are we finding you on planet Earth today?
1: Uh, we're all over. You know, uh, National Fire Radio was a, a platform that we rolled out, myself and a couple other partners, Rob Ridley, uh, Sebastian Rollo, and I got a team behind us now that help us. And uh, about five and a half years ago, uh, I saw a need for um, spreading the good word and protecting the good word of the American fire service. And so we started national fire radio, uh, which began as a podcast to capture the stories in perpetuity. Too many guys were leaving a job pissed off and disgruntled. It's not just a fire service. It's every industry you could possibly imagine. There's been a tremendous disconnect between young and old. And when we have that disconnect, feelings get hurt. And when feelings get hurt, guys with 20, 25, 30, 40 years of experience typically leave on a bad note. And we don't want that. What we want to do is capture their experience and knowledge and perpetuity. And that's what the podcast was built on. Right? So ultimately it was to capture stories of the senior men leaving the fire service. The fire service is built on tradition and culture. And that's through experience, knowledge, know-how, which takes time. You can't rush it. It's like a bottle of wine. You can't rush it. And so we need the stories of those that came before us to live long. And when the guys are leaving and taking all that experience and knowledge with them, And they're not leaving it behind because they're pissed off the last three years of their job. They were angry or disgruntled, but the 27 years before that were gold when they leave in those last three years. And then they get up and walk out the door. They don't leave anything behind and we lose, we lose the public loses. And so for us, national fire radio rolled out as a podcast to capture those stories in perpetuity. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride um, and I'm loving every second of it. And from there, you know, NFR has become uh, a full social media uh, marketing and, and media space um, where we do creative design execution and delivery on uh, all sorts of different projects. And we take permissions in so many different lanes because we've been allowed to, because our content from day one has been authentic and transparent. We're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. We are who we are. And people trust the word that we spread
0: Well, I want to get the very beginning of your timeline, but before we do, you hit a topic just then that I have talked about quite a lot. Mm. This is a highly unpopular conversation in the fire service, but like so many highly unpopular conversations, it's because it's actually needed and it makes sense. When I hear, for example, and this is just the sacrificial lamb that represents the complete resistance to acknowledge where we're really shit and force change, the American fire helmet. There's all this freaking needle dick making fun of the European helmet and we wear these fucking giant leather sombreros beating our chest when the reality is there is better technology out there. That's just that's just be. it is what it is, you know. It's I'm just not,
1: a, listen. It's, I'm a, I'm cutting you off here because I, have, please. I, I I I listen, I am all about innovation and change, but there's also reasons why tradition matters and well let me i'll um, jump in again
0: the word tradition does that mean equipment or is tradition actually camaraderie courage selflessness is it the piece of equipment that's tradition or is it actually those those tenants that are truly tradition in the fire service i
1: think it's a little bit of all of it i don't think we can narrow in and i don't think we can vilify the leather american fire helmet just like we vilify the european style helmet right I think what matters is they both do the job. Maybe one might be superior now through technology and advancement and all of that. I get that, right? But how many guys are dying because they're getting knocked on the head, right? Let's, Let's have some real conversation. And so, like, I look at it this way. If a leather fire helmet builds the camaraderie, the excitement, the old school draw, it pulls in some of that tradition, and we don't go over to the Euro fire helmet, I'm okay with that. Like not everything needs to change and not everything needs to change quickly. And I think change done for the sake of change is not good. And I think we have to respect the foundation from which we come. I mean, it's not that the fire service is that old, a couple hundred years old. It's not that old, right? I mean, America, the world, we're not that old. Why are we rushing everything so fast? And all of a sudden innovation is here. And trust me, I'm a guy that's innovating in the American fire service with our platform. We're delivering content and creating content differently than anybody's ever done before. And I'm not saying we're, we're the only ones that do that, but we are certainly a leader in the social media space on publicizing the fire service. So that's innovative, but we can't jam that down people's throats and also vilify guys that don't do that. So we have to find this fine balance. So whether it's delivery of content creation of content or the leather fire helmet versus the Euro fire helmet, I think sometimes we get caught up too hard in the facts when there's other extenuating circumstances that need to be reviewed. And if that means, you know, a leather fire helmet needs to stay traditional in the American fire service. I'm certainly okay with that. Does that mean though, that we should not look at other opportunities or alternatives? No, look at the science, look at the facts, look at the, the, where, let your people try them and let them make an educated decision. I think when we hold back and don't give our people the opportunity to make decisions, or we don't allow people to find a different way where we are. We are now uh, debilitating the ability to grow. And I don't think we should do that. We can't stymie growth. We can't vilify growth for the sake of vilifying it. But I think there's nothing wrong with the leather American fire helmet. In fact, I will wear one to the day I die in my coffin and I will not wear a Euro helmet. And it's strictly because of the tradition for me, what it means to me now you tell me five years from now that the technology is so incredible that it will save my life and blah 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 and when it goes on and on and on then you really got to start having some hard conversations but i think the 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 difference between the two i think there's extenuating circumstances that need to be considered other than just science and and practicality i don't know that's me
0: See, this is i'm having this conversation because no one does and what yep. nauseates me is this whole anti-European helmet. And the reality is, just like you said, if you're educated on other op- other technology and you acknowledge, okay, this actually is better in area A, B, C, and D, but I choose to wear my helmet, my leather helmet, knowing that it's actually a lesser helmet, but I want to wear this helmet, beautiful. But all I ever see in the fire service, the American fire service, is I'm not wearing that space helmet because when this helmet has comms built in the ears, when it has a flashlight in the top, where well, you don't take it off to go inside a car like all of us do and put our lids on. on you know what I mean? I just there the are a lot of pros. Yeah, yeah. So if it was told and, and, and a fair shot was given to other technology, I would get it. Because I'm guessing you don't wear three-quarter length boots anymore or a wool tunic. No. You know what I mean? We do progress at some point. 100%. But if we constantly are more worried, and this is just my perspective, There's a lot of people out there, you know, 19 year olds all of a sudden have, you know, big old, you know, 30 year salty trucker mustaches and everything that it's really about how they look, which is ultimately vanity. So if we're talking about it's for them, then for them means choosing the best technology. Now, like you said, doesn't mean that you should never be able to wear something else, but it should be brought into the conversation and educated and be like, all right, here's a good, good choice because the Navy SEALs. They're not wearing tin helmets, but that's basically the era that our American helmet was first found. It was in the 30s. so almost almost 100 years old now.
1: I will say this, though. I think what's really cool about today's fire service, you bring up 19-year-old kids and the vanity of it, right, and the look. I think there's nothing wrong with that in a way, though. I think that it's okay Mm -hmm. that they want to look the part, play the part, dress the part. Now, obviously, their actions and mentality have to match, right? There's I'm not I'm not taking anything away from that. Right. Because the job is the job and then everything else is added. Right. But the job truly is the service to people. Right. The selfish act of protecting life and property. And that's the mission of of the American Fire Service. Right. It Always has been. But with that comes so much fun and so much excitement about it that we should allow our 19 year olds to want to dress the part, play the part, be saltier than they were. We all did it. Right. And I think there's nothing wrong with that because it gets that's the hook. Like in a in a in a world today where blue collar is down, we don't even possess the opportunity to give kids the opportunity to learn if they want to be a mechanic, an HVAC technician, drive a shit truck for a living. Right. Like we don't give people those options anymore. My kids schools have taken away all the blue collar classes, no wood shop, metal shop, drafting, auto shop, all the classes I took. Because those are the things that excited me. They've taken all that off the table and not even giving kids those choices anymore. And yet we need those jobs more than ever. And a lot of kids are suited for that and not a four-year, five-year degree, white-collar job. They come out and they're disillusioned. So we need to do that in the fire service too. We are losing people every single day in the fire service. We are losing experience out the door after 20, 25, 30. We're losing experience after 14 years, James. You know that, don't you? Losing guys, we're losing exactly, brother. I learned that about you, and that matters to me, right? We lost a guy with experience, but you're doing it through a different means now. You have your podcast, you have a way to put it out there. My point is, we can't lose the knowledge and experience that we've had, and not be able to fill those boots. And however we fill them, we need to. But the mission matters, but so do the upbringing and those foundational blocks along the way. And so, if some of that's vanity, sure. If some of that is looks and and not practicality, I'm okay with that. As long as it's fueling the passion and filling the spots and bringing the people in and giving them some emotional ownership of it as well, I think is important.
0: So I called the helmet the sacrificial lamb for just that. I really uh, couldn't give a rat's ass what anyone wears, but it does symbolize the resistance to change. Yeah. When we're talking about losing firefighters at the moment, to me, something that I have—you talk about dying on your sword—the the work week is what I've been talking about since day one. Right, not getting rid of twenty fours. Twenty fours to me are needed in the fire service. We're master—or not master. Excuse me, Jack of all trades, master of none, of so many skills. You need that period. By the time you come in and checked out everything and done some training and done your fitness, you know you're you're pretty much at nighttime now, and it just it doesn't make sense to me to do eights or twelves personally. But the twenty four seventy two is what should be a complete national standard. And we we have adoration, for example, for the Northeast for New York, and they work 40, 42 hour work weeks. And then you got the the most most of us work fifty six federal guys work 72 and then obviously with the short staffing now you're getting into 80 plus hour work weeks so i bring the helmet in just as that kind of ignition source to look at the things that we also accept and refuse to change that we should have been fighting tooth and nail for for years because i would argue this intelligent young community that we've got these days has the ability to do research And look at what does the fire service actually look like. Any single one of us that served for longer than a couple of years is there because they actually care. And this is a burning desire, which is why I left wearing a uniform to carry on the exact same mission without the handcuffs of working for a department. But that advocation for change, because we don't work in a station that runs two structure fires a week and we used to sit around smoking cigars and petting the dalmatian now our men and women are getting murdered 24 hours a day and this is the reason why a lot of them are leaving disgruntled because the environment has devolved and the work week hasn't evolved with it so you know that's why i mean yeah the 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 can leather I mean, helmet is just something that no one ever has but it's on, a
1: metaphor please can I push please push you on that just a little bit i'm curious right fire service is not a career that we've gotten into. People have gotten into a career of volunteer, right? Just across the board. It's not something that you've gotten into as a paycheck. I would say for a lot of people, it's a passion. It's something it was as cliche as it is. It's a calling, whatever it is, right? Guys have been sacrificing for this job forever. When you go back to the war years, you go back to the 50s, 60s, 70s. And even before that, conditions were terrible, overworked. They were going to fires. They were firemen. Like, it was a different time, and yet they always gave back to it. These guys would work a 14, you know, they'd work a 10-14 or something, right, a 10-hour day or a 14-hour night, right, back before 24s and all that. They'd go home, and they'd have to rest for a day and a half before they came back to the fire. Like, these guys would get their butts kicked, and their, their days off from the firehouse were all about recuperation. Report from Engine Company 82, an incredible book. Right by Dennis Smith, and it it documents that lifestyle, right? Like we've always given back to this job. The fire service is not one of those jobs or careers that can give. It's going to give you so very much, but you have to give yourself to it too. And I think there's this balance. And I'm not like James. I know you're very educated in all of this and scheduling and and uh, just all of the the stuff that I'm not, right? And what I love about this, and for you to have, for you and I to have this back and forth. Is I think, though, in a way, too, we've lost track of, and maybe we should, maybe it's not what it used to be, but we also have to get back to this job, too. And I don't know if that message is getting lost a little bit, because what I'm finding, not just in the fire service, but in life in general, is we're more concerned about ourselves today than the guys sitting next to us. And when we start focusing on the individual and not the whole, there's a problem. Now, there's a fine balance, right? Sometimes you have to focus. You got to be good in your individual life to be good in a whole life, right? So if you're not good at home, if you're not good in your career, you're not good on your own ground that you stand on, you're not going to be much good for other people. But I think today in the fire service, we've become so focused on our individual needs and wants that we've lost track that we have to give back a little bit. Now, Anybody can argue that and say, well, why should you have to? Accountants don't give back. Lawyers don't give back. Like, and that's fine. And we can have that conversation. But the fire service has always been built on that. We always go above and beyond. I mean, look at 9-11, right? September 11th. How many extra companies were saddled up because it was shift change? And how many extra guys jumped on the rig to go? They didn't have to. They weren't being compensated. They didn't think to themselves like, oh, I shouldn't get on the truck because it's not my shift now and I might not get paid for this. It's a calling. It's a duty. And so, like, I think we've lost track of some of that. And I think it's just how we've grown as an individual, as a society, as what we're taught. We're so focused on ourselves today that we don't focus on the mission or the greater good as much as we care about our own shit today. And I think that's a problem. Now, I don't know. And I would love to I'd love for you to push back on that or, or talk to me about this. But I don't know what your thoughts are. But as. Uh, yeah. Do we need to do a better job in the fire service career or volunteer taking care of our own hundred percent? Hundred percent. I'm not going to disagree with that. I, I agree. There's so much more we could do. And if we had good leaders, strong leadership, good administrations, good uh, municipal officials, mayors, councils, whatever it is, right? If we had good, solid foundation people, but people have always extorted the fire service. People have always taken advantage of the fire service because we are known to do whatever we have to do any time of the day. And so they take advantage of that. People take advantage of that. So how do we respond? We have to protect ourselves. We have to do better for ourselves, but there still has to be some type of give back and understanding that this job was built on that foundation. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me, but that's kind of like my point of view. I don't know. Thoughts.
0: So, you and I surround ourselves with the people that do give back. And of course, there are other elements, but I would ask you this, how many firefighter funerals have you been to? A lot. How many plumber funerals have you been to? Not many. How many accountant firefighter I mean accountant fire. How many accountant funerals have you been to? You know what I'm saying? So, this is the thing. Dude. This is this is my barometer. I do A It's called the 343 Hero Challenge every year. Orange County guys put it on. And it's obviously a nod to the 343 men that we lost in 9-11, but it's a fundraiser as well. It's a big fitness competition. The first year I did it, I put the six names of the people I'd lost on my back that made me start this podcast. Last year, I haven't even collated the names for this year yet. But last year, I had 66 names on my back. And it was only in six years between those two. So this is my thing. There is a lot of selflessness in the fire service, depending on your circle. I'll give you a perfect example. I don't know if this was the same for you. For me, I spent a lot of my personal money and so many vacation days going to extrication training, educating myself and all these things, airway training, all these things. So there's a lot of people I think that do go way above and beyond. You know, they take extra EMS classes, fire classes, go to conferences, et cetera. So that, but then of course, trust me, my last department, especially, I have also worked around people that they're, when I first went to the last place I worked at, one of the most heroic people that they admired that just retired said, oh, all you got to do is put your gear on the rig and work your 24, meaning basically do the bare minimum. And that was one of their heroes. And I'm like, this is disgusting. So I totally understand that too what my conversation though is the the work environment to allow people to thrive versus to fail and if you look at the way that we work today in a in a career department especially if you're in a urban suburban busy department and then you compare that to the special operations special forces your favorite sports star whatever it couldn't be further from the truth so we talk about it's for them you know people are selflessly wanting to perform at the highest level But we have devolved to the point where our work environment not only makes us much worse firefighters and paramedics because we are so sleep deprived and burnt out. But also, no one can tell me that they have all these firefighter friends that had this incredible retirement and they're normally dying in their 90s and 100s. That that, um, figure of five years after they retire seems to be pretty universal. So that's my thing, separating those two. Absolutely, we need to forge ownership back into the the fire service in that sense of, as you said, for, for the team, not just for the individual, but for a team to thrive, SAS, Navy SEALs, et cetera. And I've had all of them on my show, they have the tools, the rest and recovery to be able to sure. to, to perform Again. at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I would separate those two.
1: And 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 that falls. I mean, I there would be no disagreement with me on that part. Right. I speaking of that. No. And I said that we need to be good as an individual. Right. We need to take care of ourselves, health, diet, exercise, sleep, like all of it. And the job doesn't promote a lot of that hands down. Right. Pizza, cigars, late nights. Right. Like it's just, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. Right. I mean, it's the it's the same thing. So yes, we do need to do a better job there, but we all have to be accountable for that as well. It's not just administration, it's the individuals too. There's better. things we could do on a local level that could could promote that. It's do we want that, right? I mean, it still comes down to the individual, right? Departments could do much better. Municipalities, uh, cities can do much better on behalf of firefighters or any public servant for that matter. But it comes down to the individual. You mentioned going to training out of pocket, right? Of course you did. Cause you were into the job. And so that was, it wasn't for the department. It was for you. The department reaps the benefit of you going. I know guys all over this country that all they do on the weekends is go out and train and they do it to make sure they're better. It's a challenge for them. They're pushing themselves and holding themselves accountable to how good they could actually be at this job, which the public and then the department reaps the benefit of that. Right. So I, I, there's just something about a firefighter. There's something about a police officer. There's something about military personnel. These are people that need it. They need it. They need that individual push and drive to be better. I do. that. Listen, you know what? Real talk. A lot of this is selfish for me. I need this. I need this conversation today. I'm going to get off this call after I don't know how long we're going to go. Two, three, five, seven hours, whatever it is. I need this. It's that selfishness that I need to have in the funnel, right? But I look at this interaction and what's going to come from this is not just the people that get to listen to this and form their own opinions and start conversation or maybe push somebody to do something or whatever it is. But I also need it in my personal life. If I didn't get to do this today with you, I don't know. What comes later? I could have I could be down and out and I'd be like, man, but today I had this conversation with James Gearing. It was freaking awesome. It fires me up. And then that means I'm better for my family, better for my wife. I'll take my family out to dinner tonight. I'm more dialed in because I got to do this and I'm focused. Like, I don't know how it all plays out, but it's okay to be selfish in some regards. And we need to hold ourselves accountable. And selfishness is some of that, right? As much as we talk about the fire service being a selfless career or selfless volunteer act, right? At the end of the day, we're still doing it for ourselves. A lot of it is all about what we get out of it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree completely. Well, You have hosted your own podcast for a long time, as we we kind of discussed before I hit record. Um, There's not much about you. So I want to start at the beginning of your journey. You talk about volunteerism. So obviously, we'll get into that. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, how many siblings?
1: January 28th, 1977. I was born in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Uh, I have two older brothers, so I'm the youngest of three boys, mother and father, amazing people. Uh, my parents stopped at me perfection. I was the last. So I was the baby. They stopped at me and, um, and so on. It was a great childhood in a, in a middle upper-class suburban neighborhood, grew up, uh, school, went to college, uh, from college. I went into the family business. Uh, my father ran a bearing, a ball bearing and power transmission company, um, and all types of heavy industry and so on. So, uh, I had worked there from when I was eight years old on up. And so I literally wore every hat in that company. Um, I've spoke about this in my podcast many times, and it's fun to go down this road because I don't talk about it a lot. But when I do, it hits a lot of nerves with people. Um, I had the opportunity to be a career fireman four times over, um, at least four times over. Uh, I passed on the job every single time and stayed with the family business. I felt that I owed it to my father for the upbringing that he gave me. Uh, I had a good life living, uh, good life, you know, in, in my upbringing. We traveled, we went on vacation, we skied in the winters. We went to, you know, the shore in the summer. He gave me a good life, put me through college. I didn't have to incur any debt for schooling. Um, he, they, my parents took very good care of me. Um, and I felt grateful In, I felt that I owed them. Uh, and so out of college and through college, I worked for the family business. Like I said, since I was like eight years old, um, graduated college, went right into the family business. And uh, at that time during college, I could have gotten hired twice as a career fireman. My number came up on two two lists. Um, I deferred it both times because I felt that if I didn't finish college, I would never finish it. I felt that I owed that to my parents. They paid for my education. So I did not pursue the career fire service at that point. And I wish I did. I was a volunteer fireman since I was 18 years old. Grew up in it. My father was a volunteer fireman. My two brothers are firemen. So we're surrounded by it. My uncle's on the job, retired, you know, so like we're surrounded by it. Um, and it was a big part of our lifestyle growing up. Um, but I didn't pursue it on the career end, uh, because I felt that I owed it to my family to stay in the family business at least for a while. Um, the intent was to get hired eventually, but as the family business, um, moved on, you know, I came, <laughs> I was Tommy Boy, right? So the movie Chris Farley, like Tommy Boy, that was me, man. I was Big Tom Callahan's son. I was that fat, dumbass who was entitled, and I came out of college got a company car and a credit card and said, go make sales, be a salesman. And uh, I thought I was God's gift to the world. And I was a piece of shit, man. It really was. Uh, It took me a long time to realize that. And we'll get into all this, but uh, 2008, 2009, the world dropped out. The economy dropped. My father told my brothers and I, to meet him for breakfast before work met at breakfast. He said, listen, I have to lay off three people. It's either you three or three of our longtime employees. Who am I keeping? You want to talk about a reality check? You want to talk about uh, putting things in perspective? My father looked at me and said, you're going to come in off the road and you're going to learn this business if you want to stay here. And uh, and that's what I did. And uh, so I gave up the company credit card and car, came in, started picking up phones and picking up the phone and picking up the phone. From there, we grew the business. Uh, 2008, 2009 were not easy times for us. We grew the business. Uh, I became the uh, vice president of operations. I ran the business. Um, and through that time, I was still taking some tests. I even took some police tests. I don't say that very loudly. Uh, I was, I was a <laughs> That's criminal... going to be the
0: soundbite for this episode. Yeah, right? <laughs>
1: I was a criminal justice major. So I went to school for that, thinking I might become a police officer. Um, and in fact, there were some opportunities there. But I always stuck with the family business. I felt that it, I owed it to my father um, to give back to what he gave for us. Um, is that right? I don't know. Uh, I often, I found myself as time was ticking on, I was starting to resent it. I was starting to butt heads with my father. I was looking at, and I had zero ownership in this company. I was just an employee, but I was running the day to day. Um, and it was consuming me. I was working 10, 12 hour days, five or six days a week, uh, working Saturdays and it just was consuming me. took me away from my family, it was getting in the way of our marriage to the point where I made my wife quit her job and come work for me so I would at least see her at the office. And that was our time. And it was crazy. And that's the life we lived for many years. My kids were little at that time. And I'm I'm kind of regretful for some of that. I say I don't have a lot of regrets, but I feel like I I could have done better. We could have done better early on. But I think it's all part of growing. Um And so uh, my father was looking to retire about five years ago. Uh, Went through the process of looking at buying him out. My brothers and I, we were going to buy the business, make it a second generation company. Um, Went through the whole process. And at the very end of the process, I got cold feet and pushed away from the table. Um, Some difficult things, man. People, if they don't know what family businesses look like, they're not easy. They're very ugly. Um, When you have a family business, typically you don't, socialize with your family outside of work because that's all you do is work with them. And so outside of, of work, you don't typically have picnics with them on the weekends. Typically don't hang out with them. And it, it was getting in the way and to put things in in a real perspective, I'm the youngest of three boys, but I ran the business. So I had two older brothers who uh, at uh, many times resented me 10 times over um, for that, but I'm the operator and that's how it had to be. We looked at purchasing the business. Um, I got cold feet. My wife is an amazing human being. And we had a conversation the night before I was supposed to sign some paperwork and she knew I was struggling with it. Um, she said to me, um, you know, if it's only going to get harder and, uh, and grander, more time, and what are you going to get out of it? And uh, and so we really had a heart to heart that night. I went into work the next day. I pushed away from the table, said I wasn't ready. Uh, my father was not in a, Absolute hurry to retire. So we left it on the table. Um, About three weeks later, we got a phone call from a competitor. Hey, we heard uh, some possibilities there. Let's have a conversation. Six months later, we sold the business. Done. I have not regretted a single day that we've sold the family business. Have not. I didn't reap any reward. I didn't reap a paycheck from the sale. I was not an owner. I was an operator. Um, But it gave me an out. It gave me my life back. It gave me, you know, afternoons and and nights at home with my kids. It gave me time with my wife again. It also allowed me to build National Fire Radio. Um, And that, to me, and and when I look at what I'm going to be known for, I'm listen, I'm a technical salesman. I still work for the company that purchased us. So I still do that. Uh, And I travel a ton for them. And I manage a very big, large account for them. And I'm a technical salesman. You want to know anything about motors, pumps, bearings? conveyor belts. I'm your guy. Like that's, that's my life, right? I've lived that since I was eight years old, but man, the fire service is my passion. And, uh, when I turned 40, it was right before we started talking about, uh, before we sold the family business. Um, I said to Terry, I said, I was, I was struggling with a lot of things. Um, I had a lot of struggles around that time and some of it was finding my own way. You know, when you run a family business, you have a lot of people that are dependent upon you. Um, when your father and mother and your two brothers and their livelihood and their kids or their families depend on how you operate the family business, there's a lot of burden there. It's not just providing for my own wife and children. It's now providing for the whole family. It's a lot. Um, I felt like I was getting lost. I felt like it was getting muddy. I started having some resentment. I started pushing back a little bit. I found myself starting to get disconnected from it. And I came to realize that I wasn't doing enough for me. This was consuming me, but it was not my passion. It was my father's passion, and uh, it took me a while to really figure that out. But when I did, um, at the time, I was doing some innovative marketing for our family business using social media, and we were finding some growth from it. And I was starting to hack attention. And um, a big, a real big um, inspiration for me was Gary Vanderchuck, Gary V. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know who Gary Vee is, but uh, and if you if you listening to this podcast, you don't listen to him. A lot of people don't like him, and then the people are absolutely in love with him. I'm absolutely in love with him. Um, and he was an inspiration for me to push myself to do something for me um, and to follow my passion. The passion's always been the fire service. So it kind of circles back around. I did not pursue the career avenue because I felt obligated to remain in the family business. But, man, do I know I should have been a career fireman. And man, do I know I should have been, you know, riding trucks, sleeping in firehouses and working in busy urban, like in a busy urban setting. I just that would have been for me, I think, the fulfillment I needed. Um, I just didn't have it. Uh, I still volunteer. I volunteer in a department that does 700 runs a year. I'm very active with them when I can be. I travel a ton now, but I was I'm a, a chief. I was a chief of that department one time and I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, And I can't get enough. And, and if a fire dropped right now, I'm running out the door, man, we're going to reschedule this. I mean, that's that's how much like passion I have for going to fires. I love going to work. I love being able to put gloves on and have a tool in my hand. Like, I just love it. There's so much about that, that I just am so passionate about. So I knew that the fire service was my passion. I was hacking social media for the bearing world, for the family business. And I came to realize, like, this isn't happening in the fire service. There's not a lot of podcasts out there. You started around the same time, I believe, right? So like, uh, t- oh, no, you were, yeah, you were a lot earlier than me. I'm sorry. That's right. So like, but there was not a lot out there that was focusing on the good of the fire service, but delivering the message on today's means. There's so much nonsense in the pipe that is stuck in the traditional value sense of how we share and spread the word about the fire service. But that's not where people are paying attention today. So if you want to be the guy or the platform that educates the people, you need to have their attention. And so I started seeing all these things coming into play. And so I said to my wife, I said, Terry, I I want to do something for myself. She said, good. What do you want to do? She's like, you need something. What do you want to do? I said, I think I think we could be the next fire engineering. And she goes, excuse me, I said, I think I can build a platform that will be the content delivery mechanism in the American fire service. And she looked at me without hesitation and said, well, then go do it. And uh, that was about five and a half years ago. We started National Fire Radio. And like I said, it started as a podcast. It was my way. I always found myself, James, in the firehouse connecting the young and old. I love bullshit. I love stories. I love talking about the same fire 3,700 times. I love driving back from a run and pointing out houses, buildings, lots, trees that cars have been into and talk about those jobs with those kids in the back seat. I love the conversation of the job because it pushes the job forward. And so the podcast for me wasn't, was a no brainer. I get to surround myself with incredible people and hear their stories and then share them with people that want to hear them just like I do. Fuck yeah, bro. Let's go. Right. So that's how this whole thing started. But from there I started realizing very quickly, there were so many holes in the traditional system that was in place. And it allowed us to start taking some real wild permissions. And um, I'm not going to lie, man, this thing has grown. It, It has been a downhill snowball and it is getting bigger and bigger um, The opportunities, the people that I consider friends were 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 pipe dreams five years ago for me of I wish I knew who that guy was. I'd love to shake his hand. Now I text him every day or we talk like I am so super. Happy with how this has gone, but. I'm not even close to like where I think we can go with this, and it's just it's I've done so much for so many, and I don't mean that in a weird way like I don't. I love that about what I'm able to do. I did it with the family business. I do it with my family. And now I get to do it with people in the American fire service. If I can give back, man, the messages I get, I just got a, like a 12 page email last night from somebody that just. Fuck man. Like it hits, you know, it's like, you know, you do some mental health episodes and the amount of people that reach out and thank you for talking about it, talking about a topic, talking about this, talking about that. Getting people fired up to go back to work because their job sucks and and they listen to the National Fire, po- National Fire Radio podcast every morning on the way to work because it just fires them up to know there's like-minded people out there. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am, but man, has it become like such an ownership position now? For me, I feel so responsible for continuing to do this. Like, I feel like I can't step away from this now. Because I think that we've rooted ourselves where people truly believe in what we're doing and the words that we share and the guests that we share with our listeners. There's a tremendous amount of trust that goes into what we do. And we've been transparent from day one and never have I told a different story. Never have I embellished a story, maybe a few embellishments along the way, but (laughs) yeah, you know, that's part of the gig, right? But, but people believe who they, who I am is who I am. And, and the amount of, support and outpouring we get is unbelievable. And I am so forever grateful. And we've only scratched the surface on this thing, man. And it has, it has grown leaps and bounds. Um, and I'm just internally grateful, but that's a little bit of the backstory that got me to where I am today. Um, but man, I, I wouldn't change any of it. You know, when you, when people talk about regret, they look back, you know, I, I know I should have been a career fireman. I could have been, uh, you know, in, in full transparency, that was 2023 years. I'd be 23, 24 years in right now. On the job.
0: You know, let me uh, ask you this financially, yeah. would you be in a better or worse place if you'd been a career firefighter?
1: I probably would have been in a much better place as I'll a career you. firefighter. Yeah, because I still could have worked for the family business and pulled a career and in, in the fire service, which in the Northeast does not pay bad at all. And then on top of that, 24 years in, I'd probably be a line officer or a chief by now. And then take it from there, you walk out the door and I have a pension. What do I have in the private sector, a 401 that I put into? Right. Not that you don't put into the pension, but like it's different. It's different. It's a different system. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, would I have been did I sacrifice for the family business? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think I did, but I know I have. Um, I know that it's uh, it's been challenging for my family. It's been challenging for my wife. Um, It's been challenging for our marriage at times. You know, time allocation, money, all of it. Everybody deals with that stuff. There's no doubt. Right. But man, I was so freaking loyal to a family business that I just pulled a paycheck from it and nothing more other than aggravation and missing my family and, and so on. And um, I love my father that much. He is my everything. I do a program called Bridging the Gap. And I talk about, uh, I do it for conferences and keynotes and things like that. And the opening slide for it is a picture of me and my father. And he is my, he's my go-to. Um, And he still is. And as much as I said, resentment was building along the way. Resentment would never trump the love I have for that guy or or the sacrifices I made for him were my choices. And I don't regret that. And I never will. You know, it was the ability to have his legacy live on, build the name of the family business, you know, and let him have his swan song to be able to get out. And um, and that was important to me. And did I suffer from that or because of that, probably, but it's okay. I got broad shoulders, you know, let's go.
0: I want to go all the way back to your mm. early life and then we'll come back to you know, yeah, some yeah, of yeah. the topics that we're going to unpack in a minute. You're a young lad growing up when your dad was a volunteer firefighter. Yeah. Talk to me about that experience through a child's eyes. Fucking
1: awesome, bro. Chased fire trucks on my bicycle. Fire siren would blow. The plectron would go off in the house. You know, this was back then, it was a sleepy suburban neighborhood. They're probably going to 150 calls a year, just fire. They didn't do medical, right? They're doing 150 calls a year, and out of 150, 147 of them are legit calls of service, right? It was different back then. We used to chase the fire trucks on our bikes. We used to get yelled at by the fire chiefs all the time to go home, like all that shit. My father shared the firehouse with us, but it shared it to, a, to an extent. Me, I bring my kids to the firehouse whenever they want to go. My my youngest now is 15. Um, I think she's getting into it. It's my daughter, Lily. Uh, I've never pressured. I have four. So to really get crazy here, I have four kids. Two are my stepkids and two are my own with my wife. Uh, my two stepkids are 29 and 27. My wife had them very young. They've been my stepkids. Uh, I've been in their life since they were five and six. So I've been around a very long time. They're my, I just consider them my kids. Um, They both are moved out, live out, you know, of the home. And then I have Paige and Lily and Paige is 16. She's going to be a junior in high school and Lily's a freshman. None of my kids pursued the fire service. I never forced them to. It was always very prevalent in our home. Uh, They know how important it is to me. And now of course, with national fire radio, they know how important it is to me for sure. But the volunteer fire service has always been near and dear to my heart uh, I think it's important to be a part of your community that you live. I think too many people pull away from civic mindedness. Now I did an episode on that not too long ago. And I think that's a topic that needs to be explored. Um, but my daughter, Lily's starting to show some interest. I don't know if she's going to pursue it or not. She can at 16 as a junior firefighter. If she wants to do that. I'm not forcing them in any regard, nor would I, because I hold it to such a high standard That I worry that if they do it and they don't do it in my the way I I think it needs to be done, there's going to be problems. And I I don't want that. So if if, you know, Lily knows that if she wants to do it, she has to do it her way. But she has to do it. And it's not a hobby, if you will. It is you have to go all in. Um, And as long as she gives all into it, you know, however she chooses to do it is fine. Um, but I don't know if she's going to or not. She's got a lot on her plate. She's a beautiful kid who's got play, plays volleyball and she's super smart reads like you wouldn't believe voracious reader um, and so on. So, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. But for me as a kid, it's all I wanted. It's all I wanted to do, man. I the day I could become a firefighter was like the best day of my life. It really was. And uh, it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It really was like I my first couple of years, man, it was the same six guys in the same engine going out the door. The siren would the town siren system was winding down and we're already out the door. I mean, and this was a home response department. And like we raced to get there, whether it was a carbon monoxide alarm at the same house 15 times over that month. Or if it was, you know, a job out, out three windows on arrival, like it didn't matter. And man, that was so important to me. I don't think the kids have that today. I don't think they get that same excitement that I had, the same buy-in that I had. I wish I could take what I had as a young kid in the volunteer fire service and bottle that up and be able to share that with people because they just don't get... Guys don't even run... A home response department, guys don't even run into the firehouse anymore. They don't even run into the firehouse. They like strolling. And I'm like, are you... Like, what are we doing here? Right? Like, It's things have gotten so strewed in such a uh, different way from when it was when I was there. And I'm not saying it's any worse or any better. What I'm saying is I think we can do better. But we could have done better back then too. But I was blinded by it, man. I was so smitten over it, so in love with the volunteer firehouse and the upbringing I had there. My father kept us at arm's length. The firehouse for him was his place, and he didn't want his kids there all the time. That was Monday night drill nights, after drill, after they trained for a while, right? They'd burn a house to the ground back then, or whatever they did. Stretch lines, right? Lay out double threes. Put put water on the fire. They go back to the firehouse to clean up. Then they play cards and have, drink beer until two in the morning. Why would he want his kids there? That was a men's club. It was it was it was his time out from his job, his family, and everything. So he kept us at arm's length. We went to all the functions. We went to the, all those things, but we weren't invited in every single day. Like my kids are welcome with me anytime. And they know every single guy at the firehouse. They know every guy's name. They know their families. They, you know, and all the guys know them. It's just a different level of buy-in. But man, being held at that arm's length, but then getting the nod, holy shit, James. I'm not kidding, man. Like it is a really impressionable time for me. And it was important to me. And I, I value that. And I think that's why I still carry this unbelievable love This unconditional love for my fire department, for my upbringing in the volunteer fire service. And I think that's why it's important to be civic minded, to give back to the community in which you're a part of Um, all of that. And uh, and we need to do that.
0: Now, you talked about the civic minded conversation, which I think is extremely important. I've heard I've had a lot of people on the show where the country they're from. There is some sort of national service. It doesn't have to be military service. You Mm -hmm. know, it might be community. Yes. Where um, I think there's a lot of gray area is the volunteer fire service. And What I mean by that is there are areas of the United States as a vast country where absolutely it makes 100% sense. You know, you're a town of 200, you know, until maybe larger county or federal um, departments can get to you, you're it. And that's why yeah. you have your volunteers right. on the other side of the conversation. It seems like there are some volunteer organizations now that are in very heavily populated suburban areas where one could argue, why are they not career? Why are you not paying these volunteers to be there full time to respond immediately from that station and deliver a higher level of service? And I just mean that not by the individual, but literally the time it takes to go from call to response.
1: Yeah. What... (laughs) If you do the job, you do the job, right? Like, when you when you think about the fire service, it's super unique because I know incredible volunteer firemen that are on the top of their game that are in, bought in 120%, and I know career firemen that suck shit. It's like any career, right? It's like anything. There's good guys and there's bad guys, right? There's guys there for the right reasons. There's guys there for the wrong reasons. My concern becomes involved when departments bury their heads in the sand and don't want to look at realistic uh realistic uh settings if you will right you got to look at what your community looks like a lot of volunteer departments are going through manpower struggles people don't volunteer like they used to they don't have that ability to give back to the community whether they're uh time wise they have no interest they're focused on themselves and they don't want to give whatever it is right Communities are struggling with volunteer fire services, but you have to look at ultimately at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the service in which is being provided to the residents that believe unconditionally that you will be there to give them the very best that they deserve to have. And when we don't provide those services, we're falling down on it. And when we bullshit our town administrators, our fire commissioners, or whatever else that looks like, and we're not painting an accurate picture about the service in which we're delivering. People don't care. They do not care who's coming, but they expect you to come and they expect you to do it proficiently and professionally. I don't care if your career or volunteer does not matter. If it's Mrs. Smith in a town of 100 in the middle of Idaho or it's some lady in downtown New York City, there's the same level of expectation for services. When I call 911 because my daughter's choking, I've been mugged, or my house is on fire, there's the same level of expectation from a a population of a 100 community to a population of 10 million. It's the same expectation, quick response, professional service. When we can't provide that, and it's not just volunteer departments, it's also career departments, when we cannot provide that service to people that unconditionally believe in what we do, they don't care what we do until they need us. And we have to get over that. Oh my God. I'm so tired of the conversation about people don't appreciate who we are, what we do. Shut up. They don't care. Just like you don't care about the garbage man until he doesn't pick up. And then all of a sudden you bitch and moan that they didn't pick up. Right. It's the same thing, right? It's fire service. EMTs, police officers. We're just another cog in the wheel. We're just a job. So like the average public doesn't put, they say they put us on a pedestal bullshit to fund the police. They didn't put them on a pedestal. They only put them on a pedestal when it's convenient to the conversation, right? So, like, we have to get over that bullshit and believe in what our services are. And then we have to deliver them in the way in which our customer, the public, believes it needs to be delivered. And when we fall down on that, that is where we have to be bigger and better to pick ourselves back up and address this situation, whether career or volunteer. And when we're dropping the ball and our services are not there or we're not giving somebody the level of exp- experience they deserve or the level of proficiency they deserve we gotta have a conversation and we gotta have a real conversation the problem is too many people want to bury their heads in the sand until it's too freaking late you brought up firefighter funerals how many did we go to that maybe could have been prevented
0: A no, all I would argue most, to be honest. I mean, even, even you look at the line of duty deaths, you know, oh, they got they got lost in a fire or they they slipped off an aerial. You know, the one conversation that's never brought in with that, the same with the police officer that, you know, shot the teen reaching for his driving license. He thought he was going for a weapon is also, you know, how, how tired was that person? That's never in this conversation. Yeah. So again, when we're looking at career, what is our ability to deliver service when you're asking these firefighter, paramedics and EMTs, to perform at this elite level after waking up from a dead sleep at 3 AM when it. they just got forced to do a 48. You know what I mean? It's not a poor me conversation at all. It's, as you said, expectations when we're called upon on someone's worst day.
1: Yeah. I, I would agree with you, James, hundred um, percent. I, I think that, and that is where we can do more for us. And we need to do more for us. Um, majority of line of duty deaths are medical and a lot of them are cardiac. How many departments have required physical fitness? Listen, I'm a big guy. I played high school sports. I played Division I college lacrosse until I threw that away. That's a whole other conversation. But even when I played and I was in the best shape of my life, I carried weight on me, right? I've always been a big guy. But could I be in better shape today? Yes. My department had some standards and physicals that I had to do other than a standard, you know, physical and, and all that stuff every year. It'd be good. Accountability. Right. If we're if we're losing guys from heart attacks and cardiac issues and fitness issues on the fire ground, or we're not delivering a level of service that needs to be delivered because we're not on our best game, there's accountability there. We need to really start holding ourselves accountable and stop fucking pretending that this shit isn't happening.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and even I mean, going back to let's say you are the individual with the leather helmet and the moustache, but you're carrying a hundred pounds. Yeah, how into the job are you actually? You know, now I'm always very, very fair. As I said, right now the environment sets us up for failure, which is why you get bigger uniforms every five years. You know, for a lot of people, it's not about shaming. And like you said, you don't have to have a six pack to be an incredible firefighter either. But if you're beating your chest and you're videoing yourself duck walking twice a week with a hose line in your hand, but you haven't owned your fitness, then again, you're missing the point.
1: I I think self-awareness, I think accountability, um, they've gone skewed, man. I don't think people have a real good, accurate picture of who they truly are anymore. I think years ago, man, I, we're going down this road. So, <laughs> no, I, I just... I look at how many guys bullshit themselves. I look at how many people don't live a real lifestyle. They, they fool themselves. They lie to themselves. Not only are they lying to the people around them, but they're lying to themselves and they believe their own bullshit. It is amazing how much people feed on their own bullshit. For what? Self-awareness. Guess what? Not everybody can be a podcaster. Not everybody can be a fireman. Not everybody can be a baker, a seamstress, or a monorail driver. Not everybody can do it, right? So, like, be aware. Can you do this job? If you're a volunteer, can you volunteer at the level that your public expects you to volunteer at, right? Have some self-awareness to understand that not everybody can do everything. Don't tell your kids... They can be LeBron James if they can't be LeBron James. You know that at a very young age. So don't bullshit them. Stop telling your children they can do everything and have real conversations with them about what they're really good at and pursue that. I mean, there's just some things that you just can't do in life. And we've painted this crazy picture to make people believe that they could do anything they set their mind to do. Get the fuck out of here. It's good. it's not real talk. It sets people up for failure, and then when they can't get to where they want to be, and all along life they've been told, and it's been instilled in them, that they can do anything you want. And then when they get there and they can't, what happens? They crumble. Anxiety, right? It consumes them. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. I wanted to be this. I can't do it, but I was always told I was the best. I was Let's have real conversation. So when it comes to the fire service, be aware. Be aware of what you're good at. Be aware of what you're not good at. You can always better your position, but the job's not for everyone. Not everybody can put a mask on, enter a second floor window over a ground ladder under high heat and zero visibility and make a grab. Not everybody can do that. I haven't done that yet. I'd like to think that I have positioned myself to be able to do that when called upon, if called upon to do that. I'd like to think that I can do that job because I've set myself up mentally and physically to do that job i'd like to think i could do it but i haven't been tested on the fire ground to pull a victim out of a second floor window by myself under a ves condition right not everybody has but you like to think that the guy that's riding backwards can make that decision and be able to do that so you have to be self-aware but if you know that you can't do that you better pick up your game and be able to put yourself in that position. And if you can't, then maybe this job isn't for you.
0: Hey man, I've always said people, I would be a horrendous accountant. I'm terrible with numbers.
1: Oh, <laughs> so... absolutely, absolutely, man. Like there's, I, I couldn't be a pizza maker because I would just eat pizza all day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> there's no way, but you have to be self-aware. You have to you have to be able to have real conversations when you look in the mirror. I bullshitted myself for so long, bro. I'm telling you, like, I speak about this stuff because I lived it. I wasn't happy with a lot of times of who I was. I was I had bravado and ego. I was a volunteer fire chief at 27 years old, and I was the biggest asshole around.
0: You couldn't well, talk to me, me about anything. that because you talked about throwing away lacrosse. You talked about being an asshole working for that company. Yeah. How did you get there? When you look back, what were the things that contributed to that element of the ego? And then what was the shift
1: for you? You know, it, it's it's funny. Um, life is humbling. It's understanding you don't have all the answers. And that wasn't easy for me. Um, and I don't know when that happened, per se. Um, I threw away college lacrosse. Division one got recruited to play. Division One lacrosse, got there, went to a couple practices, thought that I should be partying, hanging out with girls and staying out all night instead of getting up at 5 a.m. doing suicides, marathon runs, and training year-round for Division One lacrosse. I threw it away. I walked away from it. Um, And to be honest with you, nobody gave a shit. You know, for me, it was like I used to worry about people and persona and all of that i used to i walked away from lacrosse and nobody was like oh man you shouldn't walk away like nobody gave a shit right like that's something i've never even explored that before until right this very second but that's something right being concerned about like oh do i need somebody to tell me to stay to change my ways but nobody wanted to so they probably saw that in me that this guy's not gonna stick around he's not he's not all in on this right so that was that. Um, the family business, uh, huge part of my life. Um, I had very humble beginnings there. Um, I came in full of ego, Tommy boy. I knew that I couldn't do any wrong. I mean, I was given every tool under the sun and I still sucked at what I did. I'd rather take people to lunch and bullshit and go to titty bars and play golf. than uh, you know, uh, sell, educate, make a community, right? Um, and then when I got pulled into the family business, that was super humbling for me. My own father was going to fire me. Family business isn't going to carry your fat ass anymore. You're out of here or you're going to pick up your game. And that was that was a big deciding factor for me. And I had to grow up very quick that day. Um, and I had some real insight into what I had to do to do it right. And uh, and that was to give back to that family business, to go all in, to to give it the time and energy it deserved and needed. And I did that. And from that, I became very successful, excuse me, at that job and grew a reputation in an industry very much like the fire service where it's built on older dudes. You know, I mean, how many people know about ball bearings and power transmission equipment? And I'm 46 years old today, but when I was 36 and 26, like I was a young kid in this industry that didn't have young kids in it. And I'm a technical salesman. I mean, just this week I did a, I was down in Virginia doing a big conveyor belt job with installers and like all this stuff. Like people have no concept of what I do outside of NFR. The people that know me, they have no idea, you know, it's this whole other lifestyle that I live, but you know, so that was a humbling time for me um, to, to have to learn the job. And then I think when we looked at buying the business and I pushed away from the business, I think I've only become a better human being in the last six years. I think my twenties, I was a young fire chief. Um, I was assistant chief for, from 24 to 27. I was chief at 27. Um, I had two stepkids at the time and uh, my wife and I had gotten married, had Paige right away after we were married. Uh, and then 14 months later, Lily was here. So my two youngest are only 14 months apart. So Terry, I mean, the volunteer fire service, was my life outside of work and family and even family, I put on the back burner so much because I was just giving back so much. People know that, man, The volunteer fire service is not easy. You know, you you climb up the rank and you do the job correctly. It's a full time job. And uh, it consumed me. Um, It consumed me as an assistant chief. It consumed me as a chief. The chief term is a three year term. I stepped down after one year and people couldn't believe it. I stepped down at 20 at the end of my 27 years old. I stepped down after one year as chief. I worked so hard to get there and I was chief for one year and I backed and I stepped down. I stepped down because I had a newborn at home. I had another kid on the way and my wife was ready to fucking kill me. And I finally I finally matured to understand that I needed to put my family first. And I did that and I stepped down and put the fire service second and uh and so on but the fire service has always been very prevalent in my life and um you know and i don't regret any of that i don't regret the decisions i made or how i acted or responded but man did i grow up you know perfect story james i was sitting in the meeting a couple years ago and i'm now like the voice of reason in the firehouse which is just hilarious to me because i used to be the hot-headed let's go get out of my way type guy and now I'm like I sit back and take it all in and and so on. It's just funny, man. I'm so different today than I was yesterday, let alone five, 10, 20 years ago. And one of the young kids at the meeting's like, I don't understand this. He's like, I hear all these stories about you when you were young. And he's like, and and you would have just said go do it, blah blah blah. Now you sit back and you analyze the conversation, blah blah blah. He's like, Who like who why did you become this way? And I go, because I matured, man. I grew up. Like, I, I'm I'm interested in a bigger picture. Now um, I'm willing to talk more. I'm willing to put it on the table. I mean, there's a lot of things said over the last hour and five minutes in this podcast right now that I don't know, it's opening a real insight into who I am and, and it takes humility. And, and I would never have spoken like this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years, no fucking way, man. I would have protected all of my stories and sanctity and and not let anybody in. And today I've come to realize that the more you let in and the more you give out, the better you are. I sleep better at night. I can look at myself in the mirror. I have a better marriage, a better relationship with my family. I have a better relationship with the fire service. And it's all because I've had to get there. And it's just taken time. And um, I think so much in this world today is the immediacy of everything. And the one thing that we lack, we talked about self-awareness, right? We didn't really go into accountability yet, but we sort of did. The other thing is patience, man. Like I just, nobody's patient anymore. Nobody's willing to let it ride. Nobody's willing to try something out to the end. Everybody wants it now. Everybody needs change now. Everybody wants now and nothing is done now. Nothing, but that's what we all know. You want an answer now? Nobody argues Nobody argues about who won the 82 world series because we just look it up on our phone now, you know, in bars, we used to have conversations all the time and, and bust chops about who knew the most knowledge about pop culture and sports and all that shit. We don't have those conversations anymore. Oh, it's right here. Oh, let me look it up. The fucking guy rich. There's always one guy in a group that ruins it for everybody. You try to get a conversation (laughs) going and all of a sudden he's like, Oh, it was the Astros. I'm like, fucking asshole. Like we could have talked about this for 15 minutes but you just ruined it because the immediacy of answers. It's the world in which we live. I'm not vilifying it. I'm just saying there's something in the art of conversation. There's something in the art of humility and uh, camaraderie and the storytelling. And that all matters. And that's why we're here today, bro. I mean, that's what this is. I hope somebody gets something out of this. I hope something positive comes from this conversation. And if me putting my stuff on the table... And me put giving people an insight into my life. Maybe it touches somebody else, some in Kentucky, some kid that was like, "Shit, I work for a family business. I'm going through the same shit." Like, there's that connection. You never know what the connection can be. But if you're not willing to talk, and you're not willing to educate, and you're not willing to put yourself out there and let your guard down just a little bit, people know who I am because I tell them who I am. There's no smoke and mirrors here. You know what I mean? There's a few things that I obviously don't talk about, but like overall, I'm an open book, man. You know, I don't know. I think it goes to the emails I get from people, the people that can relate to the podcast, the shows, to the guests. And I feel that that's an important insight for me. And so I answer everybody back. It might take me a little while, but I try to get back to every single DM and email I get because somewhere we struck a chord with somebody somewhere, something resonated with them. And it's my duty and obligation to appreciate them at least taking the time out of their life to reach out to me because I hit them with something. I don't know.
0: I think one of the things that's really emerged after the last few years, and sadly, it's taken a huge amount of suicides to really kind of extrapolate this, Yeah. but is that courageous vulnerability. And I've had so many revered people from all professions, you know, police and fire, but also, you know, SAS and SEALs and on here, sometimes in tears. Talking about the things that really bothered them, and if you think about when we first came on the job, I mean, you you came on a little bit before me. I think I was twenty six when I joined the fire service. Um, you know, there was adoration for that salty guy, basically the giant fucking dickhead in the station. Oh my god, he's amazing! Don't don't you know don't address him when he's in this mood. Oh, he's crazy, but oh my god, you know he's a fire legend. And you realize now in in twenty twenty three, that guy's actually in crisis. That guy is hurting. That's why he's a giant dick. You don't have to be a dick to be a good firefighter. So what is really encouraging to me, and it's exactly what you've done in this conversation, is the vulnerability, the honesty. Like this, this one section of Instagram that ridicules everyone else's fire helmets or the way they ran their fire scene or whatever. And this projection of perfection themselves as a fire service is so, you know, fictional. And then you have the real firefighters who'd be like, dude, let me tell you about time I fucked up on a fire. Like, you know, I'll give you an example from my career. I was young, but my first fire in Hialeah ever, there is a the back of the house and, the, and the, there's a sports car in the backyard that's on fire. And they're trying to kind of open the the gate. So I give them a hand and I'm grabbing the top and, you know, young and fit and super energetic. And then the next thing I'm on my back with the entire fence on top of me. You know what I mean? Another time at a fire, the tweaker had... Um, put porcelain tiles, not only all over his house, but on the driveway too. The moment the water starts flowing, it's like Disney on ice and everyone's busting ass. These are the stories that this is a reality of a fire scene. It's organized chaos, you know? So I think this is so important today is to be vulnerable and be honest. Like, you know, that imposter syndrome that so many of us yeah. suffer with, you know, talk about these, these are real. Now, it's again, it's not a negative conversation, there's enough conversation about the love of the job if you're in the right places with the right people. It's for scary.
1: The it's scary to show insecurity. Listen, you're talking to a guy right now. Uh, what night was that? Monday night? Monday night. I almost took my finger off with the jaws of life. I went to the ER. I went to the ER. We had a 3 a.m. pin job, car into a tree, no braking. Guy probably fell asleep. Heavy entrapment. Steering column, dashboards up on his chest. His foot, his feet, or his right foot, heavily impaled under the dashboard, up in and under the dash. Hour and ten minute extrication to get the guy out. This was a hell of a pin. We haven't had a hit like this in a long time. I'm leaning through the back door on the. I'm, I'm leaning. I'm in the the past the the rear door on the driver's side, with my body across and then up the center console. I pushed the steering column and dashboard off of his chest. I was worried he had like crush syndrome. I was worried once I pushed it off of him that he was just going to code on us right away. Uh, he was conscious and alert throughout the whole thing until they finally met him up so we could get him out at the very end. Roll the, we, we pushed the dash off him. Now we're working his feet. Car is just peeling apart, plastic, shit, everything. We're in there with another ram. We're in there with sawzalls. We're in there with the large spreader. Another guy's operating a large spreader from the passenger side door, but I'm guiding it in underneath the guy's feet to spread and and open up the gap to get his foot out. We cut the saddle strap on the the dashboard with the sawzall because it's the only tool that we get in there. Now, I'm working halfway blind with my fucking hands and gloved hands, and I'm guiding the tool in. And as we're putting the spreader into the position, I didn't have clear line of sight of my hands. I got a thousand things going on. I'm literally six inches from the guy, right? Who's moaning and groaning and bleeding and fucking absolute mess. And my hand went in between the two tips and the pressure on my glove. I screamed like I've never screamed before. And thankfully, the guy stopped on the tool um, and I was I could not get my finger out. He had to let off on the tool. I'm telling you, another eighth of an inch, my finger would have split wide open and would have crushed it in the glove. And I have this massive blood blister that runs down the length of my hand and a deep like bruising and all that shit on the bone. I didn't break the finger. But man, you want to talk about throbbing for two days? Like, you know, it was legit. But I almost 29 years in a fire service. I almost lost my fucking finger. Like what? It happens. It happens right? But let's talk about it so it doesn't happen again. I could bury that story. I screamed like a bitch because I thought my finger was coming off my glove. The guys, guys were like, I've never heard you scream like that. And I'm like, cause I thought I was losing my finger, man. I don't want to lose my finger, you know, for what? Right. So like, when you think about that, That's just a small little story, but that's happened in my career a thousand times over. If this happened 20 years ago, I wouldn't talk about it again because I feel like I made a mistake or I did something wrong. Now I want to talk about it so I can educate the next guy. That's that humility. The insecurity of doing something wrong and being criticized. Guys don't take initiative anymore because they're worried that they're going to be chastised. They're worried that the shitty leaders we have or these shitty people that we surround ourselves with that think they're fucking better than they are. You make an issue, you make an error on something you take initiative on and these guys ride your ass. Meanwhile, these guys won't take initiative. It's crazy. So we need to, we need to allow ourselves to make mistakes, understand that we're allowed to make mistakes and we learn from them. If we're not making mistakes, you're never going to learn. You're never going to grow. You do everything right the first time. Nobody does. Nobody does. So own it. And you know what? Anybody that turns around and pushes back against you because something didn't go right or you didn't do it right the first time out of the gate, if they push, I promise you their glass house is more brittle than yours, brother. I promise mm-hmm. you. That. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Well, it kind of makes me think of something I've discussed a couple of times here. When you think about how a lot of us are trained, and it obviously depends on the cadre is actually teaching you at that point, whether it's in fire school, whether it's at EMT or medic. But a lot of times, especially once you're hired and you're doing almost like kind of box check-in training, it's exactly that. Oh, excellent. You went into the burn building, you you made a couple of right-hand searches, you know, you found the dummy, and then the other guy put ask, put the pallet out. High five. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's the same with as a paramedic. So, you know, you are a diligent student, you know, you study your drugs, you study your um your EKGs and, and your electric therapies and everything else, and you have a mega code and you, you address the Brady and you address the full arrest and, you know, congratulations, they've come back. And then you get into the real world and you're an absolute shit magnet, black cloud, like I've been, and you never save a human being in 14 years. Yeah, That's setting you up for failure. 100%. What we need to layer onto this is it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know another scenario, you slap onto the first one, and I love one of my guests was talking about like first you know walk before you can run. Brand new recruits, teach them how to advance hose, let them put the pallet out, but then add you know um, alternative scenarios. Okay, this happened, you know, you, the, the door just closed behind you. Now you're separated from your partner, whatever it is, and now you're understanding. You're kind of teaching that it's usually not going to go right. I've had codes that went beautifully. And I've codes that are an absolute shit show. I had a quadriplegic; you couldn't even compress his chest because he'd been a quad since he was 18, and now he was 50. And it was like the quarter panel of a car, and an emesis coming out constantly—a blood fucking fountain from his airway. They don't teach that in med school, you know. Like you literally can't do airway or compressions. So you know these scenarios happen, and I think that you know with all the best intentions, we're, we're taught well, but understanding to fold in that failure in your training trying to overcome trying to use innovation and sometimes saying yeah they died because that's what happens in the real world you do everything right and they still fucking die you know i think that's an important part of the education so you don't have this facade of yeah you just do compressions you do you know you you defibrillate twice and they're going to get up they're going to hug you and then they'll bring you a cake to the station the next day because zero saves in a 14 career for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, it's just, you know, unlucky or lucky depending on what, yeah, maybe someone else doesn't have to deal with all that fucking shit and they just put it on me. But, you know, this is the reality that it, you know, it is, you know, you go to a fire and, you know, you've, you've been training and the baby's in there and you go in there and like you said, vent and a search and you come out with the baby and everyone high fives you. No, the baby fucking died. Yeah. You didn't get there in time and they died. We've got to have those conversations too.
1: It's setting up from the framework. We talked about it before. Don't tell your kids they can do something if you don't think they can do it. You can't be everything. Life isn't sunshine and rainbows. Not everybody gets a fucking lollipop, right? Like, I mean that. But I mean it in the, in the most positive way because when we set up a false environment or we set up a false upbringing, whether it's in childhood or probationary firefighters or paramedics, we can give you all the tools in the world Shit still goes wrong. Understand that it's the same thing with upbringing of your children. I can give you all the tools in the world, but some kids going to go down the road and smoke crack. Some kids going to end up in jail. Some kids are going to have children out of wedlock, whatever the situation you can give all the tools, but shit goes sideways. So let's have that conversation about when it goes sideways, how do we cope? How do we deal And that I think is important. You brought up suicide before you talked about mental health. I know you talk a lot about mental health on your podcast, and I kudos to you for that because I know that that is such a powerful topic that's getting more and more traction, which is beautiful. It needs to be talked about more and more. We need to give our people the tools and understanding that it's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay. You're not alone. I fucking struggle all the time, bro. I got my own struggles. You got your struggles. Like, it's just how do you carry them and how we cope with them and to, to provide tools or the ability to open conversation to know you're not alone. Those are just as important as those skills we teach paramedics and firefighters to know that shit's going to go sideways. Like Your wife's going to leave you. Your kid's never going to talk to you again. You're going to have an addiction. Things go sideways. How do we cope with it? How do we get back from it? How do we get you back from it? Those are the important topics. Let's talk about that. Let's instill that into our people. Let's open those conversations and let people know that it's OK when shit goes sideways. Nothing is perfect. Nothing. Nothing goes the way it's supposed to be. The most manicured lawn will have a tree fall on it. The most engineered production motor in an F1 car will spring an oil leak. There's nothing perfect in this world. So let's talk about when it's not because that's the reality conversation and stop painting this picture of sunshine and rainbows. I'm tired of it. It sets us up for failure. And I think that has a lot to do with why people find themselves in dark places these days is because they have this expectation that they're supposed to be somewhere at some point in their life. I'm 50 years old. I should be financially secure. I'm 25. I should be married. I'm 30, I should have a mortgage. Says who? Who gives a fuck? Like, who literally cares? What are you holding your expectations for? Who's having this expectation of you? Your parents? Tell them the fuck off. Your teachers? Your The guy sitting, the guy riding next to you on the fire truck has a mortgage and he's financially stable, but you're not? And yet he beats his wife? Like, come on. Like, there's there's so much of this back and forth. We got to get rid of this belief that like we're supposed to be at some point somewhere in our life. I don't fucking know what's next for me. I'm 46 years old. My life has changed dramatically in the last five, six years with national fire radio. My career has changed. My family changes every single day. We have to be able to roll with change. We have to be able to understand that life goes sideways. There is no plan. Get rid of the plan and just live life. Do well. Have morals, ethics, values. Hold people accountable. But more importantly, hold yourself accountable. I struggle with it. Everybody struggles with that. I'm not sitting here preaching. I'm sitting here talking about I live this shit day in and day out, just like the guy or girl that's listening to this podcast. We all fucking live this. So let's have a real conversation and not pretend that life is perfect. Because when we pretend that life is perfect, we tell each other everything is perfect. That's where we go down some really dark places. And we just don't need to go there. doesn't need to get that far.
0: Absolutely. Beautifully said. Well, speaking of addressing a large amount of firefighters in the U.S. and obviously beyond, one of my observations, I became somewhat of a fire gypsy, started in the Miami area, then went to California, then back to the Orlando area. Um, and then volunteered in where I live just for a mm-hmm. short time until I realized it was basically like a paramedic ride along. It wasn't, you know, yeah. wasn't really yeah. functioning as a, it. as a member yeah. of the crew. Um, but anyway, got a really unique perspective of the fire service. And I realized just how fragmented and siloed it actually is, you know, and, and there are some great departments that work really well with County and city PDFD, but there's a lot of places around there that won't even talk to their neighboring departments, for example, mm-hmm. One of the observations I've made with my podcast is just simply the medium of podcasting, not saying that this one is anything special, but the medium allows you to circumnavigate these barriers, these silos, and disseminate these incredible stories and people and life's work to everyone that needs to hear it, whether they're in the union or not in the union, you know, mm-hmm. whether they subscribe to this magazine or don't. They, they that's all irrelevant. If you have, you know, Wi-Fi, you can listen to your show, my show. What is your perception of that? I mean, you know, we have a union, for example, that a lot of people are in. Some aren't. I was in for a long, long time, did some good, some areas that I'm very passionate about, yeah. did fuck all, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me about, you know, if, if you've observed that unification of all these departments through this unique new medium that only came
1: around about 10 years ago. I think what's really cool is the buy-in is on the individual. Right. Like we we put it out there, but it's up to the individual to digest. There's plenty of guys that don't like me. There's plenty of people that don't care for what we do. They don't care for my personality. They don't believe that I should be talking, whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not doing that for them. I'm doing that. I'm doing this is that selfishness again. I'm doing it for me. But through doing it for me, I've come to realize there's a lot of people that rely on and listen to what my perception is or, or my ideas are to watch you you said fragmented it's such a good word for the fire service right you would think that in a in the United States of America our fire service would be much more cohesive in all regards and it's so far from the truth and not only nationally but even locally totally fragmented 100% there's no there's no way to bring it all around make it cohesive um i will say this we can't lose track of the fact that 90 over 90% of the American fire service are rural communities that are providing a valued service to their residents in that community. And when farmer Ben's grain silo catches fire, it's not like going to a fire in downtown Baltimore or New York city, right? It's a very different event. It's a community wide event. It's an event that could rock that community because people that a town of 400 all the founding fathers ride that fire truck because they're protecting one another's property, their jobs, right? Their livelihood. Like this is what the American fire service is. We get lost a lot on social media. We get lost a lot in what we portray the fire service to be. Not everybody's riding you know, five or six on an engine, getting four engines, two trucks, two special services, and four chiefs on a reported structural fire. It's just not happening, right? Again, real conversation, right? So when we start looking at this and breaking it down, a lot of what the American Fire Service is and what the volunteer fire service was built on was literally neighbor helping neighbor, protecting your families and your livelihood, right? Right? And then the jobs obviously progressed and, you know, you have inner city, urban settings and this and that. What I find where some of the disconnect comes is that there's not a lot of conversation. And for me, it's a challenge that I want to pursue more. But the only types of content that are out there for the fire service are typically urban and suburban rural or suburban urban tactics. And I think we need to do a better job at painting a realistic picture for the the rural and suburban communities about what real life firefighting looks like and not painting this picture of this is what it needs to be right like there's a level again it goes to the expectation and delivery of services right. So and that varies based upon where you live, because you only have X amount of resources, X amount of abilities, right? Based upon where you live, the tools that are provided, the people, you know, a rural town in, in Kentucky is not going to get a four and two and one response with 37 guys. It's just not reality. And as much as we want to say they sh- they deserve the same service as somebody in New York city, it's impossible. You can't do that. Right. But it has to be scalable, right? It has to be scalable. So anyway, so the the part of this, though, and where I think we go wrong a lot of times is we're not painting an accurate picture for 100 percent of the fire service. I think we're taking the 10 percent of the fire service, people that go to fires regularly, go to go to emergencies regularly. They are writing. the They are they are creating the content around the fire service. And a lot of these kids and people from rural and suburban communities are looking to them for the strategies, tactics and ideas and yet it's painting kind of a non-accurate picture of how they should be pursuing it in their communities, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, when the, the people that have the permission to speak are the people that have the experience and abilities. And so you don't find a fire chief from rural Mississippi typically lecturing or educating because he just doesn't have the pedigree to allow him to do that, if you will. And so his people, when they have the ability to seek out information, it's typically coming from people that come from urban settings. And so that's where some of this fragmentation, frag, comes <laughs> from, right? Excuse me. And, and so I think we need to do a better job at painting a realistic picture about operational uh, tactics um, and, and abilities through a real lens of a representation of what the American Fire Service is actually made up of. And not just from the top 10%, but it should be 100% incorporation, but allow the, the small town people to have a voice, too, to help educate their own. And I think that we need to do a better job at that. And certainly at National Fire Radio, that's one of the things that I want to address because, you know, not everybody has a fire hydrant on every block. Not everybody has staffing. Not everybody has, you know, command staff. Not everybody has functioning SCBA for every single one of their members. There are, there are parts of this nation that don't have, they have fire apparatus from the 60s that are their frontline apparatus. Like real conversation, real conversation, right? We get so hung up on all of the, it needs to be this way, look at this, look at that. Meanwhile, there's so many people that are struggling just with the very basics. And so the fragmentation of the fire service is very real. It's not just on a national level. It's also on a local level. And what I can say is this. If you got a good where you are, be appreciative of that and stop being a douche. Because you could uproot and go somewhere else. And I promise you it's a thousand times worse. It's not always greener somewhere else. Work harder where you are to make you and your department better. Don't jump ship because it's easy. That's the problem. It's easier to just jump ship and go somewhere else because you think it's better. I promise you they have their problems too. And so we need to do a better job as a collective, as the, as the fire service as a whole, we need to do a better job at representing what the job truly is across the country and then help one another out to fill those holes. And I think we need to do a better job at that. And frankly, like, I feel that's kind of what our podcast doesn't weigh, right? It's like we break it down and, and I like to think I get, so much in feedback from people from an urban setting to the most rural communities and everything in between. We check all the bullshit at the door. I talk about the job on national fire radio. We talk about the job, the job is career volunteer. And I have guys all the time. Oh, fuck. fucking volunteer. This blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. Okay. I listen. Don't listen. Don't listen to the content. Don't don't like, the fact that people spend their valuable time critiquing what we do at times is humorous to me at best. People are willing to spend their time tearing other people down. All right. What? Like. Put that into a rational conversation, right? I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for them.
0: Have you ever seen the History Channel documentary Into the Fire?
1: Yeah. Years ago, though. I don't I don't know if I recall. I can't recall it. But I know when the History Channel came out with that, I do. Yeah, I did for sure. Now you're going to make people watch it.
0: Yeah, do watch it again. I think it was the firefighters fund. If I've got that right, was behind it. But there's this amazing moment and you have it's, it's a beautiful documentary. And so I don't even know if you can find it anymore. It's almost like, you know, video version of out of print. But I have the DVD somewhere at home. But they they covered. I think there was there was definitely career firefighters. I think from D.C. Um, there was I think paid on call, and then there was volunteer. Yeah. And there's this one guy, kind of like you're talking about, out in rural wherever. You know, they're having chicken dinners to raise money to try and yeah. get the the fire engine. But this guy said, and this is the volunteer. He said, it doesn't matter if you're career or volunteer. Every time you cross the threshold of a burning building. You're making the same sacrifice i think his point was you know sometimes you find that baby you find that person you come out you know you're on the front cover of the newspaper he said but every single time a firefighter goes into a burning building whether they're paid or not they're making the same sacrifice and that to me was the most beautiful way of making people realize it doesn't matter whether you have a paycheck now as you said your standards your training absolutely that's part of it but if you're paid or not paid, if you're if you're willing to sacrifice your life to go and look for someone, you're doing the exact same job. It doesn't matter what your pay stub says, your title is, or which country you're in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it's the same regard, regardless of what your title is, there's expectations. So, you know, it, it it's such a unique East, when you break it all down, the fire service, right? There's so, you know, fragmentation. I mean, it's it's every lane of the fire service, There's it's fragmented, right? But do we focus on that or do we focus on the good? And I, I also believe that we focus way too much on the negative because it's easier. Positivity takes work. Change, promote one another takes work checking your ego at the door to promote somebody else takes work takes character right or it's a lot easier to jump on a bandwagon and bust balls to the point that you become an asshole and you're not busting balls anymore there's a lot to this right i i think again the individual we have to own who we are who do you want to be who do you who do you want to be it's not even what people think of you. It's what you think of yourself. But I promise you this, if you think of yourself as an incredible person, but the people around you look at you like you're a piece of shit, you better change your mirror. You know what I'm saying?
0: Absolutely. Well, another another thing that I've observed in this whole gypsy thing, so I, I was trained in Orlando, so East Coast, and it was funny because... Our minimum standards, you know, you start your ladder throw is, you know, you carry the ladder to the to the wall, you lay it flat, you walk up the rungs, then you do the um, raising it from the side, which, you know, later on, I realized that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And then you do the big flippity flu, and then it goes into the building, you know, and then I go out west. And I look at how they're throwing, I'm like, oh, shit, I have a huge learning curve because this is a department that's known for cutting about a third of every probationary class. If you don't meet it, you don't meet it. So um, learn how to spike a ladder. And then I'm like, God, this makes so much more sense. You know, you, you lift it this way, you throw it on a shoulder. Now you can throw it anywhere, whether there's a car in the way or it's an alleyway, you're not flipping it around, you get it up in the window, and then you just freaking climb it. Um, And then vertical ventilation out West. So then I go back East oh, we don't get on the roof here. Our building's a are, are lightweight construction. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, huh. They believe this like the fucking gospel. But when you've been out West actually cutting, when you've been on the hose line that day and the truck opens the roof and you're like, oh my God, I can see, I can stand up. There's the fire. Oh, now it's out. And then you realize that the guys that now you're training with, not only does it make no sense because if you want to create a chimney, you cut a hole in the roof and all the smoke and fire goes out but also you're putting three companies of people under that roof that you're saying is so dangerous. So this is the other thing too. There are fairy tales in the fire service that completely unfounded, told by people that have no fucking idea because they have never actually done the thing that believe it like the gospel, which then creates this ridiculous, you know, holier than thou mentality when actually when you're exposed and you go try these different tactics or, you know, whatever it is that you're opposed to, A lot of times you come away and go, huh, that that actually, that does work. Now, I don't want to hang out on that roof when it's burning. Once we cut the hole and get the fuck off. But that was amazing. Look how quickly it went out. You know, people laughing about the tarps over a car fire. I've never saved a car in my life. It's a big fucking class B dumpster is what we're actually fighting. So I don't know what, you know, medals you're going to get for putting out that pass hat. But to me, if I can throw a tarp over it, keep my, you know, engine full of water for a real fire... Fucking let's do it. You know, so it's it's that's one thing I have observed just having this kind of gypsy lens is that there is folklore that's so unfounded that creates that, oh, these fucking cowboys over here, rather than going, huh, there's a rural department over here that actually is doing things really well that might work here in New York, L.A., whatever, if we have the humility to just listen to them and maybe try it.
1: No, it's really cool. Going to give a little bit of plug here, but they deserve it. Elkhart Brass, they just came out with a YouTube, a couple of YouTube videos where they took a bunch of subject matter experts, if you will, in hose and nozzle um, work in the United States, big names, and took them overseas with them and provided an opportunity for a share between U.S. and Europe about strategies and tactics, about moving water, moving hose. And obviously, like you and your leather fire helmet and Euro helmet conversation... There are incredible differences in regards to how we strike how we fight structural fires between Europe and the United States. If you haven't watched it, it's on YouTube. I'm going to give them a plug because go watch it. It's pretty interesting to see um, and it. There's a lot of give and take where you think the Europeans are further along in some of their ideas, it has to do with building construction for them is very different than ours and all these different things of how they fight fires and why they use high pressure and smaller line, all that stuff. But the point is this though too, there was methodology also out of the United States that some of the other guys from different countries were interested in also. And they talked about the difference between extinguishment and cooling and all these different things. My point of this is, is that, They check the folklore at the door and put it to test. When you talked about a quote unquote gypsy firefighter, I think it's a funny term, but like I think everybody needs to get out of the cocoon they're in and go try something somewhere else, or at least go educate yourself about how it's done elsewhere. There is more to this job than what's in your zip code. And when you limit your ability to grow and you limit your ability to learn, you're not bringing anything to the table for your people. And I think that's one of the biggest things now, more than ever, and you brought this up too. Now, more than ever, we have management and leaders that haven't done what they preach for us to do. We have more lack of experience than we've ever had before. Um, And that goes from the backstep firefighter, right up through the chief of departments. We have, we have officers career volunteer that promote quickly to get moving up. So they don't have to go to fires anymore. Like, start thinking about the rationale in that right so like this is this is the world in which we live we should be living in a world where we're promoting one another to go learn more do more be better bring it back here like and that's what's important um I think the sharing of ideas the folklore you bring up folklore exists man I have never it is so commonplace to hear somebody tell a story and you turn around and be like what And then be like, that couldn't have happened. I'm telling you, I was told this. And I'm like, let's get to the bottom of it and see if that's actually how it happened. I can tell you like nine and a half out of 10 times, it's absolute bullshit. But man, do people believe the bullshit, man? You know what I'm saying? There are incredible ideas, strategies, tactics, ways to go about leadership. There are people out in this industry that promote tremendous growth. There are there are incredible industry leaders, subject matter experts and people all across the American Fire Service that are promoting this job to be better. They're bringing a lot to the table. There's, I, it's unlimited the amount of names I can name. Right. And it's cool because I get to know a lot of these people now and I look at the impact they make. But the one thing they don't do is typically pigeonhole themselves into the only thing they know. When I go to a conference and, and Mo Davis was speaking, a district chief out of Houston, Texas, who's got an incredible personality and a guy is in love for the job, but more importantly, his people. After he's done lecturing, he sits in the front row and takes notes on the next guy. What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. Those people want more, be better, do better, and they're going to promote their people along the way. And that is what we need in this job more than ever. We need to promote one another. When we make each other better, we make the job better. And when the job is better, the people are better, our own people and the public we serve.
0: Let me ask you this coming from the parallel paths of the volunteer fire service and the corporate world. Yeah. I've had some interesting conversations with people in the business space talking about branding. You know, you had Brunacini, you know, talking about the customer service thing and you know almost like they were a business um, I would argue if we are a business, let's try and model on Google, not Indian sweatshops, for example. But that's a whole other conversation. Sure, sure, sure. But it's 2023, and especially the combination fire EMS departments, the number of times we're like, why is there a fire engine on my medical call? You know, so there's, we seem to have done a horrible job at educating the public of who we are. When how we actually work, not the oh you work twice a year and then you just pet the dog the whole time, but the, how we actually work, and also what we do. You know, are you purely fire? Are you fire EMS? So with you having not only the the experience with the family business, but now growing National Fire Radio from zero to where you are now, sure. talk to me about how we brand the fire service and finally educate the public on the American
1: firefighter. Super important to let our customers know who we are. We got to be visible. We want our garage doors up. We want our trucks out. We want our people, our townspeople to see who we are, that we're part of the fabric of the community. We want their children to stop in and fix their bike tire on the apron. We want people to stop in and ask to use the restroom. We want people to come and ask for directions. The problem is our own people don't want that anymore. We want to keep our firehouses closed. Security reasons, right? Security reasons, right? We don't. I love when people pull up on the ramp of the firehouse to see who the first guy is to go out and engage them. Who's got the personality? Who wants to go out there and talk to the public? Nobody wants to talk to the public anymore. That's part of the problem. We got to educate our people first. We got to educate our people for them to understand the importance of why we are here. The public 99% of the time could give two shits about who we are unless we directly affect an outcome in their family, deliver a child, save their mother, put the fire out before it extended to their home. Like these are things where people come down the pomp and circumstance. They come to the firehouse and the guys stand there with the newborn baby or whatever. And the news crews are there and it looks great. And it's all that right. But that's smoke and mirrors, right? That's not the everyday. The everyday is educating our people to engage the public. Be a part of the fabric. Don't get hung up in your own shit. When you're at the firehouse, believe that you're there for the people. We are there for the people. I agree. I don't agree with everything Brunacini said. I don't. There's some things there that, like, I just don't agree with. But I think the most important message is this. We are there to serve the public. We're not always going to fires. We're not always going to medical calls but the service still needs to exist. The public needs to rely on the American fire service and EMS system to be the backbone, regardless of what's happening. We'll be there. And we have to be sure that we maintain that line. And that's career volunteer from the smallest town participating on main streets parade on July 4th, up to the biggest city arriving within four to six minutes for a medical call for difficulty breathing on the sidewalk. It's the same stuff it's being a part of the fabric it's being a part of the community the neighborhood whatever it is you got to be a part of it and that's being there for them on their terms not ours again stop getting caught up in our own shit and get caught up in what the people want and expect from us it's a thankless job man the problem is today we've We've created that environment where everybody wants that ass slap or high five. If we go out and do a public detail, they want something in return. Or if we go and do this, we need this. Or if we're going to do this, we need this. Everything's become bargaining. Everything's become an issue. And so because of all of that, it's created this sense of entitlement that we're entitled to more. But no, we're, we're supposed to give. We're in a service to the community. Let's give back. Let's educate. Through the branding, the department needs to recognize the importance of sharing what they do. Don't hide what you do. I remember sitting in in, when social media first came out. People were like, we're going to have social media. I just had a department the other day. Get a load of this shit. A department the other day sent me a direct message on Facebook asking me to take down a picture of one of their trucks because it violated their social media policy. What? I I abide by your social media policy. Like how does that, like they don't even understand the rationale behind what they're doing or saying. It doesn't even make sense. It's understanding, you know, you look at guys, I got um, Eric Hurst coming on. Eric Hurst is a PIO of uh, a department. I believe in, I think it's Colorado and he's got a YouTube channel and he's got a very successful YouTube channel. He's coming on. I can't wait to talk to him. He's a PIO officer for his department. You ride along with him. He educates you about what they do. He creates this incredible environment for people to want to be a part of it. Uh, Chris Ussery out of Virginia Beach. I had her on the podcast. She runs like their cadet program. Virginia Beach is a big fire department, 400, 600 people on the line. I think something like that. Right. It's pretty good sized department. And she runs this volunteer cadet academy. But you know what that does for them? That creates the next generation of firefighters for them. They're finding kids that are looking for direction. They're finding these younger kids that need and want more. And they're finding the fire department And her and the people that she surrounds herself with are creating the next generation of rock star firefighters for their own department. You want recruitment? That's how you do it. Go into the community and invite them in and make them a part of you. You're going to find people that are 14, 16, 18 years old that buy into your department unconditionally because you were there for them when their parents couldn't be. You were there for them when they were looking for some type of direction and you put your foot up their ass to get them back in line at school or they can't be a part of the cadet program anymore. And then all of a sudden, five years later, they test, they crush the test and they come in and they already know what your department's about and how they're supposed to act and respond. It's fucking huge. Like, those are the things that matter. I think we can't get caught up on vilifying social media. We can't vilify the public. I mean, I've seen guys treat the public terribly. They lack compassion or empathy. People are going through some of the darkest shit, and there's no sympathy for them. I like going to fires like the rest of us, but, like, hey, salvage matters. You know what I mean? Like, it matters that the photo albums or the photos are taken off the wall and brought out with care, right? Like those things matter. You want to educate the public about who you are, carry a good attitude and treat the public like they deserve to be treated and get out of your own shit. Tired of everybody just caught up in their own shit. tired of it.
0: The mentorship thing is something that's come up quite a bit, you know, whether it's people that have come on the show that are now hugely, you know, high performers, whether it's military, first responder, business, whatever it is, but a lot of them weren't on that road initially. They were going down a bad road. It was a mentor that turned them. When you have that diversity conversation, one of my friends, Chris Hickman here in Ocala, he started a mentorship program and they have training, I think it's three times a week at a centrally located fire station, which is usually, you know, the downtown usually is close to some of the, the most underserved neighborhoods as well. So they remove the barrier to entry. To becoming a firefighter, so as long as that child can show up to that fire station, they'll give them gear, they'll give them training. There are scholarships available to fire mm-hmm. academy. Uh, there's certainly departments dying for people if they come out of fire academy to for employment. So you know, with rather than saying, "Oh, Jeremy, go out and get me," you know, ten English people. We don't have enough English people in our department. You scoop up ten. There might be you know yeah. two good ones, six mediocre ones, and a couple of turds.
1: Yeah, but we hit our and- target.
0: Yeah, exactly. So now you've gone in, you've, you've allowed people from all these communities to try it out. Some are going to rise and be an incredible firefighter. Some are going to go, you know what, that wasn't what I wanted to do, but at least now I know what it is and can I do it? And then, you know, so, so it's the mentorship to me is such a beautiful thing. And you have this very negative, uh, kind of movement at the moment, the kind of eye rolling kids today's participation trophies conversation, which is usually from a, you know, obese dude sitting in a lazy boy anyway, rather than how can I individual A help someone in my community? I'm a plumber. I'm a carpenter. I'm a teacher. I'm a sports coach. How can I bring a child and be that mentor to turn them from journey A to journey B? And I think mentorship in the first responder professions is an absolute incredible way of not only being out there front and center for the community, but also positively affecting your own town or city and in turn addressing that diverse diversity element, because if there are underserved people, because not everyone can reach in their pocket and spend five grand going to fire Academy, right now you've addressed that issue as well. So it's a beautiful answer to so many
1: problems. Do you know how rewarding it is to be considered a mentor or somebody that's making an impact and you see the success of somebody else? Like I think I think so many people struggle with fulfillment in life. I think that people are lacking drive, which lacks fulfillment that they don't feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Do you know how fulfilled you feel when you make a difference for somebody? It's amazing. It is. So if you carry yourself correctly, you fall in love with the job and you're willing to share that with somebody else. I promise you that that impact is legacy. And at the end of the day, right? You're going to feel very fulfilled that, Holy shit, this kid that rode the back step with me, I gave him some of these little pointers or I, I let my, I let him in. I let him into my world a little bit, right? You're the crusty guy and you just let your guard down just a little bit to let this kid in to give him some of your nuggets, let him see how you conduct yourself, do your business at the, with your, with your tools, like let him in. And I promise you at the end of a 20, 25 year career, the fulfillment you're going to get, the satisfaction you're going to get on somebody else's success is leaps and bounds above any success you have for yourself. I've come to realize this, you know, I used to be so caught up in what I had, what I wanted, what I needed. And now all I want is for others to feel good. I want people, and I'm not, listen, I'm no fucking martyr. Like I'm not sitting here like saying I'm any better than anybody else. But part of the maturity conversation that you and I had before was really understanding what's important. And what's important to me is walking away from every interaction I have with people and letting them feel a little bit better. If I can do that, I win. Whether, whether I got money in my wallet, whether I'm broken, I don't care. What I need is to be able to walk away from interactions knowing that I made a difference in the conversation with somebody. I need to know that. That's, this, that's another part of my selfish endeavor. But, man, the reward I get, the fulfillment I get. I challenge you this. If you've never had anybody credit you for any of their success, get yourself more active. Get involved with people around you. And I promise you that one day when you get that text message or that phone call or you see a headline in the newspaper or maybe it's just as something as you walk past and a garbage can got emptied by that kid because you taught him to do that. It could be that simple, but I promise you, it will change you. The success of others around you is more important than your own success. Stop focusing on yourself and focus on others. You'll win. You'll do better. You'll feel better. You'll want to be better and it fuels you to do more. I don't know. Just my thoughts.
0: Well, I think that's a beautiful place to kind of wrap up. I want to throw some closing questions at you. Yeah. But uh, as far as the the bulk of the conversation, that was it. And it was a mic drop moment. Um, the first closing question i love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated.
1: You guys and your books, man. I am. Uh, I am not a reader. I struggle with that, and I wish I was. Um, there are some books that I've I've read over the years, but I I don't I'm not a big reader. I'll be honest. I'm a big podcast guy. Where I get my knowledge is through podcast. I wish I wish there were books that I could list. I can't even list titles for you right now with authors. I just can't do it. I don't do it. Um, I wish that that was more important to me, but a lot of I don't know. I I feel like I forge my own path in a way. And um and I just don't have the time. And and to be honest, I patience for me when I have to read, I don't have a lot of patience. I get bored. I'll be honest. Um, I do audiobooks. books. Um, I haven't done any in a while because the podcasts have just been nonstop with me. Educational podcasts. I do a lot of educational stuff. And so and that's where I get a lot of my external knowledge. I don't and I'm not a big reader. So I apologize, man. I've been asked that question before. I wish I had this like really amazing comeback for you response. I just don't have it, man. I'm sorry. I'm an uneducated boob, you know, just a big dummy that uh, has a lot to say, I guess. I don't know, but I'm not a big reader, James. So I just don't have a standout book that uh, that is important to me enough to, to mention.
0: No problem at all. What about movies or documentaries? Any of those you love?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. I'm an '80s, '90s kid, so like, there's tons of movies out there that were instrumental to me. I do like right now, totally hooked on UFOs, uh, UAPs now, as they call it. Um, I have gone down this rabbit hole over the last two months with podcasts and information, especially with the Senate hearings that have been happening and so on. I am just really intrigued by that right now. That's like outside of, outside of everything else I do. Uh, that has got me. I'm not like sitting on my computer, like researching stuff, but like podcasts and stuff. I am so gone down that rabbit hole right now of um of UFOs, <laughs> UAPs, and and all the, the phenomena that's going on. It's kind of consumed me right now. I'm not going to lie.
0: Well, the next question then, is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? And obviously you've had hundreds of people already.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm so fortunate to surround myself with incredible people. Um, there are some people that certainly are standouts to me that I, I believe the big thing for me is um, being genuine. I think there's a lot of people out there that have incredible messages that bring so much to the table. But then I ask myself, how genuine are they? Like, do they live what they say? Do they emulate the conversation? Um, I think a lot of people have so much good to share, but, but there's some falsity to it. Um, I like to think through like the conversation today, I'm pretty transparent and, and this is who I am. Right. And I, I'd like to, I'd like to consider myself genuine. So when I think about people that I like to promote, I really look at that as being a quality because I think that's important. I think if you're going to put your thoughts and ideas out there and people are going to give you their time to listen and absorb that, you need to be somebody that truly epitomizes what you're talking about. You need to represent the words in which you speak. Um, I'll be honest with you. Moe Davis, I've mentioned his name before. Mo to me is he's like a big kid, and he's the sweetest individual in the world, and I would never cross that man if I ever had to. I would never cross him. He is, he is all about his people. He stands up to authority when he needs to. Um, and I, I truly, truly believe that he is a filament of the American Fire Service that we need more of. I think when he shines, he shines very bright, and the people that he touches are touched to the point that they want to be better themselves. So I think Mo is certainly a standout to me that I, I just... I don't know, man. He is genuine. He is who he is. No apologies needed. Um, but he's an absolute Southern gentleman. And he's like 6'6", and I wouldn't cross him. But he's he's incredible. Yeah, he really is. And I'm honored to call him a friend. I really am. Beautiful. I, think, I
0: know I've had him mentioned before when I've asked this question, so I need to circle around with him then. No, so I'd I love appreciate. The, I'd
1: that. love to make that connection for you. If you have any interest, I would make that connection in a 2nd His Let's words make need, it happen. Yeah, his words need to get out there for sure.
0: Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you for that. Well, we've been on this whole journey. You've know, you talked about, especially, as you said, turn 40, starting National Fire Radio, having this uh, kind of awakening of maturity. What do you do to decompress these days to offset the workload that you have?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I went away last week. We took a family vacation. We go to the beach every year. We took the week off. I pretty much put my phone down. I really didn't answer emails, phone calls. My world's 24 hours a day. I work two full-time jobs now. I have my family. Um, I have to squeeze the firehouse in when I can now um, and so on. But um, decompress. I love my wife and I are foodies. Um, we love dining out. We love cocktails. We love um, we love good food, good restaurants. That's important to us. Uh, we raised our kids that way too, which is cool. On the weekends, uh, we do a lot of like trying different places. My wife, even though my daughters are 16 and 15, we never shove the phone or iPad in front of them. We taught them how to navigate life, uh, be at a restaurant as a child, and not need to have a game in front of you. And I challenge you if you're listening to this podcast and you shove an iPad in front of your kid, wrong move. Educate them, and then do me a favor: put a pack of Uno cards in your wife's purse. That's what we do. My daughters are 15 and 16, and we go to different breweries on the weekends. We drive different restaurants, bar foot, you know, pubs, things like that. My kids have an appreciation for good food too now and so on. And then we'll sit there before we eat and we play Uno. And I can't tell you how many people come by, stop at the table and see a 15, 16 year old girls playing Uno with their parents at a table in a restaurant. I'm not talking like a three-star Michelin restaurant. I'm just talking like your average, you know, you know, good pub, craft beer place, whatever it is. Right. And we play cards and people walk by and they just look at us with this, like, wow, wow. And I'm like, fuck yeah, man. I'm like, why not? Like I, I, we eat dinner together as a family, as much as we can, especially during a school year. Summers are a little bit different because everybody's on crazy schedules. My kids are running all over the place, but during a school year, we reconnect at dinner, whether it's six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I'd say four nights a week. We're sitting at the dinner table, having dinner together. And that's our time. I think it's important. It's important to connect. And so decompress my family is how I decompress. There's nothing wrong with me laying on the couch at nine o'clock at night with my wife and just turning it all off and watching reruns of house. We're, we're binge watching house right now, like till like midnight, some nights and it's bad. We should be sleeping and we're like binge watching house. But like, those are those things. It's just moments, you know, like I don't, I don't have really any other hobbies outside of what I do. It's my family, my kids, my wife, National fire radio occupies me more than anybody could possibly know. And then it's my other job too. And it consumes me. And I, I don't have much more time in the day. I wish I could tell you, I was, uh, I had some hobbies. I did this, I did that. I just don't. The fire service for me has consumed me. And I consider when I get to go meet different guys or go on projects, that's for me is fun. Like it's, it's enjoyable for me, you know, it's not work. Um, I don't know. I hope it never becomes work, you know. I really do. But decompress for me, it's really when my family's involved and uh, we get like tonight. Tonight will be it's Friday night. We're gonna go jump in the pool when I'm done with this. I'm done for the rest of the day. Jumping in the pool. We're gonna do pizza tonight. We're just gonna hang out. And uh, my kids will probably go out with their friends or whatever. My wife and I will chill. And I appreciate house. That. Yeah, <laughs> it makes me you- happy, man. It's just fulfillment. I brought it up before, and I want to say it again. You know, it's been a topic in my life over the last few years. My wife and I talk about it a lot. She was looking for fulfillment. She started a new endeavor, and it's been very rewarding for her. You need to be able to have rewards in your life that are self-made. You need to have that. You need to have fulfillment. And if you don't, go find it. It's important because without fulfillment, you're empty, man. If you're not full, you're empty. So, Go find something that makes you feel good about who you are and the fulfillment you need. And I promise you, everything else gets a little bit better. I believe that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to make sure that you go have your swim ASAP. So for people listening, obviously National Fire Radio is very well known, but where can people find the the show itself and anywhere else online they can reach out to you?
1: So the show, um, it's an audio format. So we're on all the audio channels. Um, it's been just a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're putting out new episodes almost daily, which is a lot of fun. Um, but it's a tremendous amount of work. So we're on all the audio channels. So, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google, everything in between. Um, and then from there it's on YouTube also. So if you want to just put it on your desktop and listen, you can listen to it. Uh, we're getting back to video format, which is gonna be a lot of fun, new studio space, new, new whole new setup. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we have some really cool things coming out, um, the second half of this year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then on social media across the board. Um, and if it's anything about the podcast, you can email podcast at nationalfireradio.com. If you want to reach out to me. It's Jeremy Donch at nationalfireradio.com. Um, uh, send me a DM, shoot me an email. I'm an open book, man. I talk to everyone. So, uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy the people and I enjoy people that want to push this job forward and make it better. And um, if you put the effort in, man, I got your back 100%. Well,
0: Jeremy, I want to say thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. Obviously, you played a little devil's advocate at the beginning, but I think <clears throat> there's so many people that will beat their chests. Not very many people will have that conversation, and you're oh, a great person to have that with.
1: We're supposed to do that. That is reality. If we mm-hmm. can't have real conversation to disagree yet move on, what are we doing?
0: Exactly. So I'll it's been amazing. All
1: day long. Let's go. <laughs>
0: I think that's the thing. You can walk away and go, "Huh, okay." Both of you—that's that's what a, a conversation is supposed to be. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the vulnerability too. You know, the storytelling of, of the highs and the lows has just been, you know, incredibly powerful and needed. So, I want to thank you so much for being so generous, especially on a day that you're trying to get to your family now Again. and coming on the Behind the Shield podcast.
1: This has been incredible, man. A great opportunity, and I just want to thank you. I think what you're bringing to the table is an educational sector for the fire service, emergency services, military. Your message is powerful and broad and you bring in incredible people. I'm absolutely humbled and honored to be on your show today. Um, And I had you on as a guest not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun as well. Um, But I just want to challenge you to keep pushing because you are making a difference and your content matters and um, believe that, believe that your hard work matters. And uh, I challenge you to keep pushing forward and uh, keep delivering, man. You're, you're making our fire service just that much better. So thanks, James. I appreciate you, man.
0: All right, I'm going to hit stop right there. Beautiful, mate. Hope that was good for you.